0: My pleasure to be here to, to present to you the ultimate proof of creation, and that's not just hype. I believe that there is an ultimate proof for creation, and I'm going to present that to you today. And that alone ought to be worth the price of admission, don't you think? An argument that you can't refute, an argument... There's a movement we've all seen the culmination of in regards to Christianity that began to grow in the late 19th and early 20th centuries in response to the blossoming of modern secularism. Because of the words in the Bible, people within this movement all over the world have claimed with unapologetic certainty that there is a God in the sky who has done many things, including creating the world in six days. People are not always convinced, even by a very good argument. Isn't that right? And for decades, there's been an ongoing debate between Christian and secular ideals, as more and more people seem to be leaving this movement behind. When I look at what's happened in America today, When I look at the collapse of Christianity in America, and you do see the collapse of of the Christian structure, I believe a lot of it relates to the fact that much of the church hasn't believed in six literal days. And while the majority of the Christian church has welcomed a more open and accepting pursuit of a higher power, there are still a lot of Christians to this day who are on the offensive. The, The vast majority of teachers down there are not saved. That's the true story. And even if the teacher is saved, all of the curriculum and the whole system is being run and mandated by people who are anti-God. They're not just neutral about God, they're actually anti-God. They actually have an agenda to teach atheism. They literally teach in the science class that the whole world created itself from nothing, Mm -hmm. which is stupidity and foolishness. But this is the kind of folly that comes out of the mouth of a fool. Yeah, like Only a right. stupid person would say, Oh, the whole world just created itself from nothing. And if you don't believe it, you're uneducated. I mean, how ridiculous is it to think? Oh, you see everything that you see here, The whole universe? And guess what? You know, it all just created itself. Not i nothing. It's not nothing. My name is Eric, and I grew up in church. I used to be a pastor's kid and I've come to love studying the Bible, but I've seen that the more I learn about it, the less it is like the book most people understand it to be. On the creation debate, it just doesn't seem like proving a literal creation in six days was the author's main agenda. I'd like to show you a few of the reasons I think that. I didn't go to seminary, I'm not fluent in Hebrew or Greek, I just like studying the Bible in my spare time, and my hope is to show you something new about it. This episode will be on the first three words of Genesis, in the beginning. I want to tell you in advance before I start this that I'm going to start a little introduction, then we'll get into chapter one. The introduction is probably going to be rather confusing. The first verse of Genesis is most often translated as an independent clause meaning that it stands on its own as a sentence. This implies that God's creation began with two places called heaven and earth. But as modern science has learned more about the formation of our universe, this view has been very thoroughly proved wrong. To you, but I'm gonna, it's gonna start in kind of an odd way, so just bear with me. Genesis 2:4 begins with the words, when the Lord God made earth and heaven. This is a dependent clause, meaning that it is more like the setup to what comes next. And the second half of Genesis 5:1 is translated the same way. And both of these verses deal with the creation of something. The first three words in Genesis 1:1 come from the Hebrew word bereshit. Now the Hebrew language does not technically contain vowels. So if you look up an interlinear Bible, what you'll see are lines and dots in different places around most of the letters. These indicate how to pronounce and interpret the words you're reading. With this system in place, if the word Bereshit was intended to be an independent clause, you would draw underneath its first letter a horizontal line with a dot directly underneath it. And in that case it would be pronounced Barashit. But the Bereshit of Genesis 1 contains a different indicator under its first letter. Two dots are underneath, just like Genesis 2.4 and 5.1. And what this makes the word is a dependent clause. The Jewish Publication Society translates this verse accordingly. When God began to create heaven and earth, the earth being unformed and void, with darkness over the surface of the deep and a wind from God sweeping over the water, God said, let there be light, and there was light. This translation actually makes the first act of creation in verse 3, when God speaks light into existence. But while this is a similarity to something like a Big Bang, It does not seem like this was what the writer was intending to communicate, either. So that begs the question, why is this particular translation important? You don't need me to tell you that human civilization is very, very old. Nevertheless, our knowledge of the earliest stages of human civilization were quite limited for many centuries, that is, until the great archaeological discoveries of the 19th and 20th centuries, which unearthed for us the great civilizations of the ancient Near East. The ancient Near East was the home of early civilizations within the region of the modern Middle East. It is considered one of the cradles of civilization. It was here that major agriculture was first practiced, leading to the rise of the first large settlements, as well as the development of many familiar institutions, such as class hierarchies, centralized government and empires, organized religion, and warfare. The 20th centuries were stunned to find the ruins and the records of remarkable peoples and cultures, um, massive, complex empires in some cases. It also saw the creation of the first writing system and law codes, early advances that laid the foundations of astronomy and mathematics, and the invention of the wheel. It is in this land that the book of Genesis was written, but because we hadn't discovered and couldn't translate any of the other texts from the ancient Near East, the Bible itself and texts written within the Jewish tradition have been all we have had to base any of its cultural context from up until relatively recently. One such text, the Enuma Elish, tells a story involving many gods. And so, this is a very important story. It's it's called the Enuma Elish, and it's the Mesopotamian creation myth. And it's important for a bunch of reasons. I'm, first of all, it's the oldest written story we know of, but it's also a Middle Eastern story, and all the Abrahamic religions emerged out of the Middle East. And so. It's a foundational story. It's it's a a story that sits at the bottom of our culture. Now, it has similarities to the creation story in Genesis. Over seven tablets, Enuma Elish describes the origins of the world by a battle between gods focused on the dominance of one god named Marduk. There are many similarities, which we'll get into over the course of several episodes. But for now, we'll start with the first one. Enuma Elish translates when on high, which is coincidentally similar to the way the beginning of Genesis seems to have meant to be translated. The, the Mesopotamian civilization was new enough as a technological state, let's say, because they made cities as a technological state, that the, my, the myths of humanity hadn't figured out how to encapsulate the nature of, the, of a technological dominance heart. Enuma Elish says the gods fought each other, and all of the evil in the world was the gods doing, humans were suffering the consequences. But Genesis says that when God began to create the world, everything was nice and neat. God spoke it into existence and then it existed. Very simple compared to the dominant worldview of that time. But they also said something that hadn't been said about the world from any other religious tradition that we know of from that area. They said the world was good. And that's where the Bible's creation story finds its breath of life in that these people were proclaiming in a world full of injustice and oppression that it was a good place that people have not done a very good job with. And then God said, let there be animals, let there be livestock, let there be wild animals, let there be animals that crawl on their bellies, let there be small dogs whose owners dress them in sweaters at Christmas time. (laughs) And God said, it's a little bit weird, but nevertheless, it's good. It was a cultural response, and a very impressive one at that. Because thousands of years later, this information has not been lost to time. And there's plenty more information where that came from, some of which I'll be addressing in the next episode. Until then, thank you for listening. And then God saw all that God had made, and God rested. Now, birds go in the sky, and fish go in water. Thank you. It's been great. The talks featured in this episode are by Ken Ham, Stephen Anderson, Charlie Garrett, Christine Hayes, Jordan Peterson, and Rob Bell. The music is by TRG Banks, A.A. Alto, David Hillowitz, Broke for Free, and D.N. Key. Links to their content can be found in the notes to the episode.